In September 2015, three months into Donald Trump's campaign for president, a man named Felix Sater pitched the candidate's personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, with an ambitious proposal to build a luxury hotel and office complex in Russia that would be called Trump World Tower Moscow. Sater, a real estate advisor to the Trump Organization with a shady past, pitched it hard. Let's make this happen, he wrote in an email to Cohen, possibly fix relations between the two countries, help world peace, and make a lot of money. When news of this project broke last year, well after the election, Cohn testified to the Senate that plans for the deal had died in January 2016, after he wrote an email to Dmitry Peskov, Vladimir Putin's press spokesman, asking for help and never heard back. In fact, that was a lie. Michael Cohen has now admitted in federal court that in fact, the plans for the Trump Tower Moscow continued for months, that he briefed Trump about it multiple times, that he consulted with a senior campaign official about it, and that as late as June 2016, that he and Sater were discussing plans for Trump to fly to Moscow and meet with Putin, all for the purpose of getting the Russian government's approval so Trump and his associates could, as Sater had put it, make a lot of money. Is Trump's Russia cover-up unraveling? We'll put that question to two of the president's former top campaign officials and most ardent defenders on this episode of Skullduggery. There is absolutely no collusion. I didn't make a phone call to Russia. I have nothing to do with Russia. Everybody knows it. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostage. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true. But the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. The British government has learned that Saddam Hussein recently sought significant quantities of uranium from Africa. How many times do I have to answer this question? Can you just Russia say is a ruse. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. You know, Danny, we uh, have been talking for some time about how we expected Robert Mueller to be bringing some further cases and putting out further information after the November elections. He has now delivered big time. We use the word bombshell. Perhaps we overuse it quite a bit, but this does strike me as... uh, uh, as it qualifies. Yeah, I, look, I think this is, it's both a evidence of a cover-up, uh, mm-hmm. because clearly Cohen, who's admitted this now, has uh, lied about how long they were dealing with this uh, Moscow, Trump Tower Moscow During deal, the campaign. During the campaign. Right. Uh, but also, uh, pretty clear evidence now that the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump himself, obfuscated, if not directly mm-hmm. lied about this. He was asked about it. He said he right. had nothing had been to talking do with to, Russia. Nothing to do with Russia. He hadn't been talking to anybody in Russia about any of this. Mm-hmm. That's not true, clearly. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's, I think it's a really, it's a really big deal. There was a sense, I think, among some people that the Russia investigation was beginning to kind of fizzle. There was even news this week that I think you know, reinforce that idea with some people when it turned out that Paul Manafort was, you know, basically his the plea agreement, uh, his cooperation agreement was yanked because Mueller had concluded that he was lied. He was lying, which raised the question, would Mueller really have Paul Ma- Manafort um, as a 
key witness against Donald Trump. Now, like, that's now, not going to be the case. Now appears he uh, does appears not. not yeah. But I think with this development, uh, the Russia investigation is uh, you know comes roaring back, and it makes you wonder what else uh, Bob Mueller has. Right, and I should say that you know every time uh, you know something may cut the president's way, he exacerbates it and makes things worse for himself because he then gives an interview as he did this past week to the New York Post saying that a pardon for Manafort is not off the table. That comes after the news that Manafort's lawyers were communicating with Trump's lawyers, even while Manafort was supposed to have been cooperating with Mueller. So it does give further fuel the idea that the president is engaged in, willing to obstruct the Mueller investigation. That's obstruction of justice. And it's pretty dicey because, you know, in barely a month from now, the Democrats will have the subpoena power in the House, will be able to conduct public hearings on all of this but, you know, I got to say they got some really rich new material with this yeah. La- uh, Michael last, Cohen plea. Last thing I want to say about this, you've had the sense that Trump himself, uh, in terms of his criticisms and his tweeting against Mueller, has sort of been an overdrive lately, mm-hmm. sense that, that all of this was really kind of getting to him, getting under his skin. And you wonder what Trump has known about some of these things that, have, that are now coming out. And one reason I bring that up is because another thing that came out this week in a New York Times story is that... Manafort's lawyers, his defense team all along, have been secretly talking to uh, Trump's lawyers about what Manafort, what they've learned from the questioning of Manafort by the Mueller prosecutors. That is a very unusual and I think in some people would say very unethical arrangement between the lawyers. Normally you have these joint defense agreements, but that's not when one side has become a cooperating witness. So so that, I think, yeah. is an interesting Well, look, thing. we got two of the uh, president's uh, most uh, rabid attack dogs uh, on the show today to uh, try to uh, defend the president in all this and uh, give us their take on you know this Michael Cohen plea deal. So we should get right to it. Corey Lewandowski and Dave Vossi, welcome to Skullduggery. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So you guys got a new book out, your second, Trump's Enemies, How the Deep State is Undermining the Presidency. And I got to say, just starting out today, this has got to be an awkward moment for you guys. You're arguing in the in the book that the Mueller investigation is a witch hunt, that it's a the Russia story is a nothing burger. And here we have the bombshell news today that Michael Cohen, the president's personal lawyer, lied to the Senate about a Trump Tower Moscow deal. It went on far longer than he told the Senate well into the campaign. While Donald Trump was running for president, he was trying to secure a business deal with getting the approval of Vladimir Putin to proceed. Doesn't this kind of undermine your (laughs) basic thesis of the book? What what's illegal about doing business in Russia? Well, for one thing, the president did not exactly level with the American people oh, about his efforts to make money in Russia. So Michael Cohen is a known liar, and now we're finding out today that he lied about something else, and you're going to make it about Mueller's connection to Donald Trump and Russian collusion. Is that what Where, you're how saying? How do you know he lied? How do you know it's a lie? Well, he said he lied. Well, he, he, I'm he, sorry. He's an admitted liar, right? right Isn't he? Right. I'm right. pretty sure he is. He just, but, he just but, did a plea deal saying yeah, he, lied he lied to Congress. He lied. But yeah. this, so, I, I'm pretty sure so, he's a liar. But this is a lie? 
What's a lie? What, what, what that, part of it? That he continued to pursue the, the Trump Tower <laughs> Moscow deal. That he this briefed. This is part of the narrative Excuse that you guys me, want. Dave, Dave, Dave. I'll, I'll it's all you. in the plea deal that's uh, been entered into federal court. That he continued to brief Donald Trump about it multiple times. That he heard back from Vladimir Putin's office. No, no, a Putin's real estate deal. Office. I want to make sure we're dealing with right. the facts, right, guys? Right. Okay, so. You're saying the allegation is that Michael Cohen, an admitted liar, is saying that he spoke to then candidate Trump about an ongoing real estate deal that ended up not going anywhere. That didn't end up going anywhere. Didn't happen. Is there a Trump Tower in Moscow, Mike? No. Is there a Trump Tower in no. Moscow? No. no Hold on not. a second. No, no. Okay, we'll call second. it a let's, failed let's business deal, yeah, like Whitewater, something you know about. Yeah. I do. I do. I know about failed real estate deals. Absolutely. <laughs> right. But my point and is, you, spent you guys years want you guys them. want you guys want to right. create a narrative, and you're very good at it, to make this about Donald Trump and Russian collusion and cooperation of and during the campaign. And you guys, as hard as you've worked. Haven't come up with one scintilla of evidence okay, hold on, to hold prove on. that. Corey, here's and a question. That's, that's, the, let, that's a fact. Let me quote from the court documents here that Michael Cohen pled to. Cohen asked individual one, that's Donald J. Trump, about the possibility of Trump traveling to Russia in connection with the Moscow project and asked a senior campaign official about potential business travel to Russia. Corey, was that you? No. Who was it? I have no idea. Well, now you learn that the campaign you were running was discussing with your candidate him traveling to Moscow to meet with Putin to get Putin's approval for his business project. Does that disturb you at all? I don't know who Michael Cohen spoke to. Michael Cohen never had a role in the campaign. His job was with the Trump Organization, of which when Donald Trump was a candidate, was still the CEO of his corporation. So. It's my understanding that based on what we're hearing today, Michael Cohen was pursuing a business opportunity for the Trump organization in Russia. Right. And, and, brief, was, briefing, and, briefing, and was briefing, briefing the Trump CEO, about right. it. Did you, and was you, briefing the CEO of the company that right. there may be a business opportunity overseas of which is perfectly legal of which was not pursued and of which had nothing to do with the campaign. I, but, Corey, I let me no ask you this. You're a, you're a skilled political operative. Uh, first of all, so you did not know. I knew nothing about it. Had you known that Michael Cohen, who was not part of the campaign but was still advising uh, uh, Donald Trump in his role as CEO of, of, of the company, had you known that he was continuing on this to do this and briefing uh, the, the candidate, what would you have stop. done? Let me just stop. You well, well, just well I want to hear no, Corey's not, answer. I'm going to say something plant. first. <laughs> He's not, but I'm going to say this. <laughs> the premise of your of your question, okay, is that back then in 2015 and 16 and early and 16, 16, not early 16, well into June. Okay, I want to hear the premise of my question. The premise of the question is that there would have been something known about Russian collusion. No, at the time. it is not. It is no, not. You are, that's you're, not that's the what premise you're of doing. my question. The premise of my question is it would be unusual and controversial in the middle of a presidential campaign for a candidate who wants to be president and then run our relations with 
so Russia, Russia. So hold on. to he be doing business Florida. deals. He wants to win the Florida primary. Corey, did anybody? T- did he? Did President ever talk to you about Doral expanding the Doral property? No. No. Okay. So that's that's my point. It's a little different. No, it's yeah. not. It's a little different. He's no, trying to get not. Vladimir Putin's you, approval our, for his project. Right. Hold on <laughs> a second. Hold I mean, on a second. Laughable. I want you guys to listen to a clip. This is from President Trump in February 2017. Can you say whether you are aware that anyone who advised your campaign had contacts with Russia during the course of the election? No, no nobody that I know of. Nobody so you're not aware of any contacts look, during look, the course look. of the election? How many times do I have to answer this question? I have nothing to do with Russia. To the best of my t- knowledge, no person that I deal with does. Did Donald Trump level with the American people when he gave that answer? The question was about sure. campaign stuff. Look, I, 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 the question was, he said, no, he's, he's nobody the I dealt with on the campaign to do the with the question Russia. was campaign staff okay make sure you're not just picking the words you want michael okay dave if you knew the facts about this and you were aware of all this contacts between cohen are these Felix the facts Sater, that, that hold on steal? a second no 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 the facts that robert Mueller laid out in federal court today and michael cohen pled guilty to if you had known that there had been a project that was pursued right through the campaign in june of 2016 and they were still talking about Trump flying to Moscow for this project would you have advised the president to give that answer that answer was perfectly fine he would you, asked would the you question, have left it he, at that he, would you have he, left it at that the he, question he uh, said he answered the question Michael you want him to go further than yes. the question was I think that's le- what you're saying leveling that's what American you're saying people. you're saying he should have answered a question that wasn't asked. He, you know, well, what is me, this, a deposition? Yeah, or when, he's when talking is, to the American when it, when people. Is, you just want a legalistic uh, answer look, that the dances is, around the at, larger at, no, facts. At what, what point do candidates who are running for office have, have to not, stop doing outside business deals? Did Hillary Clinton give up all of her work with the Clinton Foundation? No. Look, when, at what point when they become the nominee, when they announce they're running, at what when point? Bus- maybe when their business deal involves Vladimir Putin, so, a rival so, so to the United States. So are you saying that <laughs> yeah. Hillary Clinton should have walked away and the Clinton family should have walked away from the Clinton Foundation, which maybe, was doing tens of maybe, millions of dollars? Yeah. Well, actually, with, they did during yeah. the campaign. During yeah. the campaign, they, they, they she still, severed herself from the foundation. And, but, but look, I'm not going to argue no, no, that no, Hillary Clinton no, is your role model. I'm, exactly. I'm not I, sure that's the best. Is that my, what you my, want, no, Dave? Question Hillary is, Clinton is no, your role no, model? No, but <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's meet the Clinton standard, says Dave Bossy and Corey Lewandowski. The question is, at what point do private business individuals who aren't government employees have to sever all relationships when they announce they're running for office? And I don't think that's a fair criteria because... Many individuals who are in the private sector run for office and don't give up all of their business interests. And if we're going to hold people to that standard, then we better hold it to Michael Bloomberg and to the guy who owns Starbucks and to everybody else. The second they announce means they can no longer have any other outside business interests. If that's what we're talking about, because the likelihood of them actually running and winning may be zero. But that means they can't have any other outside business interests. Look, look, what struck me about this is Cohen's story, public story, and what he testified to is he sends this email to Dmitry Peskov, Putin's press secretary, and never heard back, and that was the end of it. If you read this, it's clear that he did hear back, that they, they, they wrote back, they called, they asked for more details about the project. The Russian government, Vladimir Putin's office, followed up to try to 
make this happen. But Michael and Cohen. that's the and 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 this is in text messages and emails that are quoted. This is not Michael Cohen's word. You have to remember these, these are documents that disprove Michael, the public y- narrative. Y- you have to remember Michael Cohen had nothing to do with the campaign. His job was to expand or give legal counsel to the Trump business. That was what his job was. He had zero, not only was he not on the same floor as the campaign, he had no authority on the campaign, he had no campaign email. So his job was to pursue business opportunities around the globe on behalf of the Trump organization. So look, Michael we know is a serial liar. He's now admitted he lied to Congress about that relationship and he's going to jail for a long time. Maybe he'll share a cell with Paul. Maybe him and Roger will all put the <laughs> band back together. I don't know. Speaking of well, speaking of which But the, let me just say oh, okay, I just want to say, Don McGahn right. kept Michael Cohen as far away from the campaign. He was not only was he White House counsel, he was counsel to the campaign. He was the chief counsel of the Trump campaign. He kept very, very bright line separation between Trump org. And by the way, I mean, the reason that I there there's been, to my knowledge, no FEC issues. Right. I mean, sometimes well, you find those, like Cohen or, pled guilty. To no, no, no. Legal I'm talking about I'm talking about campaign right. Trump, Trump org. Trump campaign FEC violations, which you can see because people have folks helping on campaigns that aren't campaign staff. And you you have corporate, you know, corporate contributions that you don't mean to. People it happens. You didn't see any of that. You've seen none of that. I I understand where you were saying that Cohen said something about a donate a payment that he made. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your average run of the mill FEC problems that candidates find themselves in. Don McGahn ran the tightest ship possible, which is one of the reasons two years into his administration, you didn't you don't have an enormous FEC investigation, which well, uh, most I, I, I don't know. We, we, we're, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars in payoffs to Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal that this. came from Donald Trump for the purpose of helping him during the campaign. But let That's me say Michael this Cohen as, as, it to. as it relates to Michael Cohen finance violation as it relates to Michael Cohen as the. I was the campaign manager. I had no authorization to prevent him from going on television and saying things. He never checked with the campaign. He wasn't authorized by the campaign. And we had to go and tell the networks, Michael Cohen is not part of the campaign. So when he says, it's okay to rape your wife, mm-hmm. that did not come from the campaign. That's Michael Cohen on Michael <laughs> Cohen, okay? We couldn't <laughs> distance ourselves. He did say that, I, 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 I say I that right? That. Okay. This is um, one of the many things that he lies about, obviously. Hey, look, you mentioned uh, Paul Manafort, uh, who was a, is, a convicted, another convicted felon. Uh, a lot of people about, around Donald Trump nothing are now convicted felons. Well, we know okay, what case. Yeah. We know but, nothing but, to do with Donald look, Trump. Look, the president was quoted the other day, yesterday, actually, saying uh, that a pardon for Manafort is not off the table. You think that's a good idea for the president to pardon Manafort? And, uh, look, I think there should be a process to go through and to, to summarily say, as the president of the United States, I'm going to automatically discount a potential presidential pardon for an American citizen without reviewing the facts is irresponsible. Barack Obama pardoned more people than the previous 13 <laughs> presidents combined, including people who were convicted Involved of killing in the Whitewater investigation is no, 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 Dave no, well knows. No, no. And, and Barack, as Obama, do I. Yeah. Barack Obama Again, pardoned an individual. Standard? But is how much, of, how, standard? based on what we know, and convicted of how many felonies? I mean, dozens at this point. And if you were advising the president, 
would you advise him to pardon Paul, Paul Manafort? Manafort? No, no, of course I would not. But I would say is if Paul Manafort. So do you wince when the president says no, things like this? Here's what I would this? say. Here's what I would say. Do you guys if, like, oh, my Paul God, Manafort, he's just getting himself into more if trouble? If Paul Manafort wants to apply for a pardon, there's a process to do that. And he can go through the Justice Department, and they should review that application. Would that then, be, wouldn't then, that be a better thing for then, the president to say? And then it should yeah. come to the well, president. Well, can just desk. say that. Just remember, <laughs> yeah. just remember, the president's been in office for two years. He's pardoned three people and given seven clemencies in two years. Okay, to put that in perspective, that's the lowest number of any president the first two years well, of the administration. Actually, Obama, Obama hadn't done any. Didn't do any not pardons true, yeah. for not years, true. but not, true. not Go until back the end. Look. No, he did four hundred and thirty on the last day. On is the what last he did. Yeah, 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 but, but did, not in the first he did two years. Nineteen hundred and seventy-six pardons and commutations, many of which were for drug infractions, which right. he started at the beginning of his presidency. All right, look more broadly. What's the message you want people to have from your book? It's, it's very simple. Okay, when we talk about Trump's enemies, it's really broken into a couple different categories. The first category is the intelligence community, which would start with Clapper and Comey and Brennan and the Crossfire Hurricane program that they put in place to get a FISA application, go to the FISA court and spy on American citizens on domestic soil in violation of the Fourth Amendment because they didn't like their politics. That's the first component of it. Or because they thought they had connections to Russians and were being manipulated it's, it's, by Russian intelligence. And the FBI wanted to understand to to what the Russian government was up to it's in not, trying to cultivate people close to your campaign. Michael, the first time the government went for a FISA warrant on an American citizen in this case, they were rejected. 2% of those warrants are rejected. And as a matter of fact, and we document in this book, the judge stepped off the bench Mm -hmm. when the government was in front of them, called another FISA court judge and said, this is what was just presented to me. What do you think? And they said, that sounds like the government is trying to spy on people based on their political beliefs. How do you know that? Is that from inside sources that, that you have? That's documented yeah. there. It's well, no, absolutely. I, I read it, but I don't see it's, it's yeah, documented. Well, what, yeah. Where, absolutely where are you getting it? Where are you yeah, getting it? Yeah, how do you know that? We have sources who absolutely. <laughs> anonymous sources? Not anonymous. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. They're they're not anonymous? Who, who are, are they? anonymous sources? No one's ever questioned that that took place. I'm questioning way, whether it took place. I don't know. So who told you? We will protect our sources just so they are anonymous. So you don't have a problem with anonymous sources. Let's be clear. You don't have a problem with journalists citing anonymous sources. No, but here's what happened. Here's what happened. The first application was denied. The second application, which was brought was back approved. four months later, and then, was and then only approved no, no. three additional four times. times. Four, four times, times total. Right. Including, by the way, by Donald Trump's appointed uh, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. That's exactly right. He who, saw the evidence who, and Michael, signed as, off as on it. As you now know, has had that responsibility removed from him. Is he an enemy of? Well, is he a, no, actually, he's still deputy attorney general, he so he has not sign. Deputy attorney generals can sign. No, he cannot. Warrants. He cannot. Okay. He, look, is Rod Rosenstein the Trump on, enemy? Hold on, this is a very important point. There are three people in the Justice Department who have the legal authorization of FISA to sign a FISA warrant. Traditionally, he would be one of them. That responsibility has been removed from him. And if you go back and you listen to the mm-hmm. testimony that he provided in open mm-hmm. Congress mm-hmm. by a question by Mark Meadows. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Jim Jordan, he said he no longer has that responsibility. There are only three people, the Attorney General, the Deputy Attorney General, and the head of the department. He's still the Deputy Attorney he, General. Does he fall because in? Because Donald Trump under, hasn't fired him. Because he is under investigation by the IG, that responsibility has been removed. Does he fall under 
that category that you just talked about in the intelligence community as an enemy, as a Trump enemy? I think there is real question as to Rod Rosenstein signing the final renewal application and if he knew what was inside that application before he presented it to the FISA court. That would make him an enemy of Trump. Uh, well, what, 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 I think, what I people. think we need to do is get to the bottom of what he was talking about on the 25th Amendment and those other issues that they're trying to get him to testify before. I don't think we know the f- answer to that question yet, but I think there's questions outstanding that I think are fair for us to try to get the answers to in order to come mm-hmm. up with the answer to that question. Now, but, let, me, let me ask you, you know, more broadly, you attack, you include among the enemies the press. Sure. And, you know, this is rhetoric that our president uses all the time. Fake news, enemy of the people. Dave mm-hmm. Bossy, am I an enemy of the people? Mike, you've been somebody I've known in this business for a very long time. You're one of the best investigative reporters that I've ever seen work in this town. But you have sources, as you always have, including me in the past, that have their own motivations. And you saw that when you were involved in this whole operation where you had a meeting or uh, you wrote a story on the same day that I think Steele and Orr met. And then you write a story that's used as part of the FISA. I laid all this out. I laid it all out in our book, Russian Roulette. I've talked about it on this podcast. I'm saying totally upfront about my reporting on this. But in Glenn Simpson, uh, who we have both known for a a very long time, you know, Glenn left, and see, that's part of, it's just part of the conundrum of the reporter class in town is they come and go from the reporter world, right? They go into the Obama administration, they go and they run an opposition research firm that is then being paid millions and millions of dollars to use, you know, his experience at the Wall Street Journal and his sources within hiring Nellie Orr, Bruce Orr's wife, the number four person at the Department of Justice, to then though then go and use his former colleagues say, to agree, try and get I, I agree with you. I'm not talking specifically about Glenn. I don't want to get into that. But there has been this trend of reporters going in and out of administrations in a way that you know never used to happen. I mean, Absolutely. Les Gelb was a columnist for the New York Times and then went to the State Department. It's different when you're an opinion columnist. But I agree with you that for no, reporters, look, that's something his, that we need to— James Car- Car- uh, Carney? Carney. Oh yeah, Jay Carney. Carney. Jay was, Carney. Yeah. Plenty of examples. No, no, but of that. Jay was a right. Jay, Jay. I thought was a was right. a very good reporter. I think at Time Magazine back in the right. day, right? Yeah. Yeah. Then he goes and he works in the Obama, and, and then he just goes and works in the administration as a. Well, the problem would be if no, no. he go, comes back into journalism. I, I totally get it, but you know, <clears> but for all of those years, he wore um, a, I'm an independent reporter on his sleeve. That's the pro- That's part of the dilemma that people. Of course, like it happened that. on the left and right because there are a lot of reporters who have gone to that, Fox that, from Fox News who went. I mean, Bill Shine was well, yeah, not Bill a reporter. Bill Shine, okay. come on, he's he yeah. not a reporter, yeah. guys. Like, come on, that's he not a good example. But there Fox are examples. I, I, I understand yeah. what you're charge. trying to say, but yeah. I'm just making sure we all understand. Yeah. Bill Shine's not an example in that sense. Okay, let me get back to the various categories. So, so you talked about the uh, the intelligence community, you talked about the media, but I'm wondering what about the bureaucracy? What about you know? The, uh, the uh, civil servants, you know, there are thousands and thousands of people who work in the federal bureaucracy and they are disproportionately Democrats. A lot of them probably detest the policies of sure. Donald J. Trump. What do you think of them? Are they enemies of the people or well, enemies well, of Trump? We, we write a, uh, a chapter in the book on uh, the bureaucracy and 
outline how difficult it is to try and get information from some of the bureaucrats, and specifically Dave can talk to it at the State Department when he was trying to get information Still uh, from to this one day. Victoria Newland. So I'll let Dave talk about what that is. <laughs> well, look, we have Citizens United, my organization right. that I'm president of, and Judicial Watch have been two of the leading FOIA organizations that have tried to get information out of this White House, so out of the State Department. And so one of those related to Steele when the fake Russian dossier was... Well, well, just to be clear, Steele was providing, as part of his business organization, Orbis, reports to the State Department, which were going to Victoria Newland about events in Ukraine. Sure. You got a problem with that? I have a problem. Well, I don't have a problem. Victoria Newland told me, and it's quoted in our book, Russian Roulette, that, you know, she viewed most of it, over 70 percent, as credible information that was helpful to her trying to run policy in Ukraine and Russia. Yeah, but it's what it, what does it have to do with the Steele dossier? That's well, where that came later. Of course, that but she later. but she is mm-hmm. somebody we're trying to get information of. And I think to mm-hmm. Corey's point, what we're saying is we use the FOIA process. To try and get those documents, to try to find out what right. the emails are, to try to see did did Steele have contracts inside the State Department? Did Steele provide information to Kerry, to any to Victoria Newland that then found itself mm-hmm. on its way to other places, whether it's the White House or any other place? And I think she got she had to testify not too long ago in the Senate, mm-hmm. and one of the senators, and I think it was the chairman, asked her questions about that, and she didn't really have good answers. But we have been trying to uncover it. So we go to FOIA, we go to court, we have to go to court because the State Department gives you nothing, as you guys know. The process is not very right. good for us, right? Reporters, it's not good for anybody, anybody. trying right. to get no, FOIAs. No, it's not good out for the anybody. State Department or any other federal agency. So when we but when We've been doing this a long time, but in this it's particular case, it's not a case, plot to screw you no, no, or well, supporters of Donald Trump. Well, I, let me point this out: we asked for one year of Victoria Newland's email. We asked for a very narrow scope of material from one person. We didn't ask for a lot any other things. We just asked for email. The State Department came back and told us it would take forty-five to sixty-five years to get us that information, which means. You know, my grandkids, if they're interested, could uncover what she was doing if there was anything nefarious. So we, what they do is they force you in the process, Mike, and you know this very well. They force you to narrow the scope, narrow the scope, narrow the scope, so that you can, on your own decision, cut yourself out of the very information you were looking for in order to try to get the information in a reasonable time frame. This is a big problem. So it's not tinfoil hat stuff. The deep state is the career 30 or 40 year bureaucrat. It is the Obama holdover, the Clinton holdover. But are you talking about people have been in government for years through Republican and Democratic administrations? But the question that he asked was that the, and and premised on, was Mm -hmm. that most of these people are predominantly. Democrats, predominantly liberal. That's the point, Mike. Of course, there's a few here and but there. But are you mostly are you talking at the at that? I mean, Victoria Newland is a very senior official. But what about at the kind of worker bee level, the GS eights and GS nines? I mean, are they problematic or are they just good, you know, honest? Patriotic I think there's Americans? some of both. I think there's some of both in there. I do absolutely. Because Would you I, think maybe the civil service laws need to be changed to so be easier to fire some? Oh, of those people? certainly. I think that I should, think that we should be able to. You need to be able to get rid of people. Look, the government. This president is trying to shrink the size of government, and I think you've seen it by him not replacing, uh, you know, natural attrition instead of hiring at the same pace in that bureaucratic mess. Look, we have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of federal employees. 
just the IRS has 90,000 employees. That's like the population of Albany, New York. But do you think I mean, that they form a significant part of the resistance against Donald Trump? I think what you see, and, and I think it's just well known, uh, is you look at, you overlay that, and I think this is an important point. You overlay crying Sh- Chuck Schumer holding up hundreds and hundreds of presidential appointees who need Senate confirmation. And you see hundreds of them languishing for a year or more. Some of them will lose their spots once the year ends because you'll have, as you guys know, you'll have to go through the whole process all over again in a new Congress. So you have no ability for the Trump administration to use their Senate appointments to administer, meaning to put forth their legislative agenda, their administrative agenda in those agencies. So, yes, you do see career bureaucrats slow walking or doing the opposite of what this president wants. That's I think that's very well established. Let me ask you about I want to ask you about two events that took place over the Thanksgiving weekend. There's been so much news lately. But uh, one is uh, 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 President Trump was asked, I think, on the eve of Thanksgiving what he was thankful for. And he says he was thankful for what he has done for the country. And so that are was his 60 answer. plus right, right, million okay, other right. Americans. How would you distinguish um, answers like that and Trump's behavior in general from somebody who suffers from narcissistic personality disorder? Well, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a I mean, it seems to me this you, is the so definition of narcissistic yeah. personality disorder. That's just, a person that's just asked what he's thankful Mike, for. Mike, that's the part of the problem with the can talk media about right is now. Himself. You, you have gone from a conversation to making it a a, a, a no, pers- no, you just prescribed him with a, an, a, a problem, a mental disorder, Mike. You're not a doctor. I'm not the you don't first guy one on in the TV. world to do Okay, the it. only thing you play on TV is Columbo, so <laughs> let's stop it. All right, my second question is there was another event, I think, on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, in which a New York State judge said that the lawsuit against the Trump Foundation can proceed in New York state courts. And Corey, you are right in the middle of that case. The allegations in the lawsuit are that the foundation, a charitable foundation, was being used for personal and political purposes. And the evidence of its political purposes was that you were directing where charitable donations to veterans groups should go and the timing in order to benefit the president in the Iowa caucus. You are a crucial witness against Donald Trump in a lawsuit that has just been given a green light. Nobody's ever contacted me. I've never heard from right. anybody. But you've the read, attorney, you read the I, emails. I've read, I've read what's in, in which, public. But yeah. here's, a, here's the amazing thing. If I'm such a crucial witness, yeah. I would only assume somebody from the Attorney General's Office of New York or some other law firm would say, Mr. Lewandowski, we'd like to talk to you. That has never happened. No one's ever contacted me. Listen, the emails are the emails. And Alan Weisselberg, who's the treasurer for the Trump Organization and the foundation, is consulting with you. We should start and you we should start thinking about how you, the campaign manager, want to distribute these charitable funds. And you're writing back. I think we should get the total collected, then put out a press release. You say we want to do it on the eve of the Iowa caucus. So So you're directing. a charitable foundation as to how just, it should distribute uh, its money for political purposes. Correct? No, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing well, that. Well, why at all. are you why are you directing? Why are you saying, I'm not, I'm not you know, is there any way we can make these disbursements this week while in Iowa specifically on Sunday? 
That's right before the Iowa caucus. But why I, are you giving these directions? Maybe I was asked. Yeah, and why, and, and why didn't you say, hey, look, that's none of my business. You're the charity. I'm the campaign. Somebody asked me a question. I gave them an answer. You gave them multiple answers, and they here's the testimony of Weisselberg. So <laughs> Lewandowski wanted some checks so, so, when he was in Iowa. So hold based on, on let, let me make sure I get this straight. Yes. The campaign is trying to earn goodwill. Is that what, what I'm hearing? A, cha- a campaign. So, so the candidate goes and does the Lincoln Day dinner, and they bring some something to put into the auction uh, for the Republican Party of Des Moines, uh, whatever the example right. is, uh, to be able to raise some money. Politicians on both sides of the aisle do that every single day. Look at Bloomberg. Bloomberg today is stroking checks across the country that then, and he's going to go uh, uh, next, this month, I think in December, mm-hmm. to right. Iowa, and he's paying for this enormous environmental uh, operation out there to earn goodwill with the people of Iowa. I'm telling, look, guys. You're, I mean, look. You hate Donald Trump. I get I it. No, no, Hold no, no. no it's Mike. It's okay. Hold on it's a okay. second. It's okay. I see what hate, you, I see. It. Hate is a strong word. No, it's to okay. Use. You can admit it. It's no, fine. No, no. I mean, look. No, I, I'm you determining know, did, that you have you, some sort you, of narcissist. Did you hate no, Bill and Hillary Clinton? No, as a matter of fact, I didn't. You didn't. Okay. No. Well, I was then I don't think you it. can say I hated Donald Trump. No, I hated what they were doing to the country. All right. Well, I, I think Trump's that's enemies. a good answer that could I be given on uh, all sides I, all right, here. Yeah. Trump's enemies. All right. I got a question. Are you yeah. done with this right, no, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so, so, questions. Go ahead. All right. <laughs> so, one more thing, man. One more thing. One more question. I got some more for you, but go ahead. Two weeks ago on this very podcast, George Conway, conservative lawyer, talked openly for the first time about his relationship with about Donald Trump and and his his wife of course Kellyanne Conway senior advisor to uh, heard, the president of, of the president of the United States <laughs> so Conway he called the Trump administration a shit show and a dumpster fire he said Trump was appalling he said he's undermining the rule of law in this country and a whole lot of other things what's your reaction to Conway's uh, comments Hey, look, I don't know George Conway. I think I've met him once or twice. Uh, he would hang around the campaign in Kellyanne's office a little bit at the end, but I had no relation. I've, I've never had a relationship with the guy. He's entitled to his own opinion. But what is important to remember is George Conway wanted to be an employee of this administration. He wanted to be the solicitor. Well, he was general. offered the no, job of chief of the C- uh, civil division. Not true. Yeah. He, yeah, he, he pulled out. He pulled, pulled out. out. I don't well, know if, I don't he know pulled if the out. offer well, was there. Look, oh, yeah. Look, it was I, there. I think, he I, was filling out his financial look, that, forms. That doesn't mean you got the job. Okay, there's a lot of people who think they're offered jobs that aren't actually offered Including jobs. you guys, by the I know, way. I was never you thought, you guys thought you were going to go work for the White House. If I want to go to the government, I could go work for the government. I don't want to go for the government. They killed us off early. We didn't But look, what's amazing to me is... People say, I want to go do this. Then they don't get the opportunity, and then maybe there's a little bit of sour grapes. I don't know. I don't know, George. Maybe he's the greatest guy. Maybe he's the greatest legal scholar our country's ever seen. But the point was, you don't go from wanting to work in the government and being the Solicitor General to being so anti-Trump overnight. And look, maybe he's one of the November 9th club guys that we talk about in the book. Who are they? The Sean Spicers, the Gary Cohns, the Rob Porters, the Rex Tillersons. There's so many. Okay, who never supported the candidate when he was running, didn't vote for him on election day, but then either found a way to get into the government or tried to find a way. Look, Elliot Abrams, another great example. This is the guy who, you know, hated Trump, wrote, signed the letters against him. But then what does he do? I'd like to be the number two person at the State Department, sir. 
What do you mean? You you have said this guy is the worst thing since sliced bread, but now all of a sudden, and, 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 to, to benefit yourself, you want a government and job. Let me, let me just follow up on just that point, which is all presidents need people to come to work for the administration that, that weren't necessarily with you. And that's fine if you have people who want to do that because – what is required is for you to set aside your own personal agenda and adopt the agenda of the person you're going to work for. We use the example of James Baker, who was a campaign manager against Ronald Reagan and became Ronald Reagan's incredibly successful chief of staff. Right. That, that type of thing is what we want to see more of, not people who go in there like the anonymous author, the person who sits there and, tr and says, we a group of us are stopping him uh, at every turn. We are undermining. You didn't get sixty plus million votes. You don't get to do that. And that person's a just, coward. Just to be theories who anonymous. Hold on, hold on. Let me I, give I you one more. Let me give okay. you one more real world example today. Yep. Secretary Mike Pompeo was yeah. not with Donald Trump in the primary. Actively right. campaigned against him. Has been a steadfast supporter of his administration, of his policies, and has been a phenomenal addition. Okay. What about, about Jeff Sessions? What about Sessions? Silence. What about Silence. Well, I mean, was he, he not a loyal, uh, you know, no, no, no. Trump Jeff, guy? Listen, I mean, he listen. was, there wasn't even more loyal, Jeff, but he was our first Sessions, senator to join the The, the next time you see Jeff Sessions, I predict, is going to be uh, supporting this president on different public policy matters. There's no question about that. Jeff Sessions... In the president's eyes, in our opinion, lost the president's confidence when he made, in our opinion, a mistake. He recused himself, which allowed this entire charade, okay, to to really get put upon this president and and put a pox on this administration. And that's why Jeff Sessions isn't he there. He can never recover right, me, I don't think I so. Just, no, I just no, want to get no. back to George Conway for a moment, because to be fair to him, what he told us, he was a supporter of Donald Trump. In fact, he told us how he wept for joy on election night when Donald Trump won. He did won, that for his wife, but not for he Donald was, Trump. But no, he, he said was, for... But but he supported Donald Trump. He was too, happy, yeah. but he was appalled okay. and totally turned off by the way President Trump was running the government, particularly as it related to the Justice Department. And Dave, I want to ask you this. You know, we had the report just a week ago that the president at one point fulminates that the Justice Department should be prosecuting James Comey and Hillary Clinton. And Don McGahn had to intervene and write him a memo saying, no, you can't give those directives to the Justice Department. You know about yeah. the importance of an independent Justice Department Certainly. that prosecutes based like, on the facts, not political look, influence. So, you're right. No, right. The, the premise of that is correct and i think donald trump agrees with that i think what do you, you ever see, do you ever I, no, no, say but, to the but, president, but i think what you mr. see mr president just, you are wrong I here think, i think what you get this from is the inability to pick up the phone and call jeff sessions meaning oh for two years and tell not, him to prosecute no, 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 hillary no, no. clinton i think that he's frustrated that he has zero communication with a cabinet official who he had a relationship with but had no ability to communicate with him. If I believe if they had had a relationship, Jeff Sessions would have told him those things. Jeff Sessions would have appeased that problem, and it wouldn't have 
created that level of frustration. Well, what do you th- so I think that's kind of the, the, the solution. Somebody should, shouldn't somebody say to the president, and you guys are as well-situated as anybody, to say, Mr. President, you're full of shit on this. You Look, cannot Mike, tell the Justice Department who they should prosecute you know and who what, they you shouldn't. You know what the problem is, Mike? And yeah. I, think it, I think it's George's problem. Do you guys problem. ever do that? Look, I, I, of course. I, yeah. I have you do? Kid. You I tell the president he's full of shit? I, I, look, look, we won't. I, I won't say we're what our private conversations are, but I think everybody knows that if I have something on my mind, I tell people what I think in the most respectful way. But look, Bill Crystal, Jennifer Rubin, these people who claim to be conservatives, who've begged for 30 years to have a conservative president come here and move conservative policy, hate Donald Trump. They can no longer argue with his policies. They don't like the way he delivers the message. And they have been so blinded by their hatred that they go off on tangents regardless because they wanted a conservative to come to Washington and change it, to appoint conservative justices, right? That's what Bill Crystal has said for 25 years. Jennifer Rubin somehow claims to be a conservative of the Washington Post, which is such it's bullshit. It's, it's outrageous, right? But if you wanted to you the define conservatism as what Donald Trump does? What, you mean, is that you your mean, idea? You funding the military, appointing two conservative Supreme Court justices that are strict constitutionalists, 84 federal court justices on the bench, smaller government, cutting the government bureaucracy, Right. Holding people accountable. Yes, those are the principles. By the way, free trade, fair trade for the United States. That's something that used to be a conservative principle. Uh, uh, Pro-life. And and the most pro-life Republican president ever elected. These people, and all our point is, if this guy's name wasn't Donald Trump, if it was Bill Smith, they would love him. But because of his style, and because of his style, I think, that they, Jennifer Rubin, should not be called, and the Washington Post should be ashamed of itself, that they call her a conservative columnist. It's a a ridiculous thing. All right, guys. All right, guys. Uh, We could go on probably for a couple hours here, if not longer, but our time is up. The book, Trump's Enemies, How the Deep State is Undermining the President Corey Lewandowski, Dave Bossy, thanks for joining us on Skullduggery. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Thank you, guys. Okay, and now for a uh, somewhat different take, we have our uh, colleague, Hunter Walker, who actually broke the story of Michael Cohen's uh, continued involvement with this Trump Tower project that he just um, pled guilty to. So He broke it, wait a sec, he broke it seven months ago. Seven months ago. The story, the headline, I'm looking at the story yeah. right now on Yahoo News, Michael Cohen's efforts to build a Trump Tower in Moscow went on longer than he has previously acknowledged, co-bylined with our social media editor, Brett Arnold. So, uh, Hunter, congratulations. Yeah, it's been it's been an interesting morning. I'll say that. <laughs> yes, it has. All right, you listen to our conversation with uh, with uh, Lewandowski and Bossy. Give us your um, assessment. Well, one thing that really, really struck me, having covered the Trump campaign, having worked with both of them, was how much they were trying to minimize Michael Cohen's role. And I don't think that's entirely accurate, <laughs> really? to put it mildly. Wait, wait. They were not 100% accurate in everything they said. <laughs> um, you know, Michael Cohen, he'd spent over a decade at the Trump Organization as the general counsel. And the, a really interesting side note, he actually got on Donald Trump's radar when he and his um, Ukrainian-linked family members started buying up condos in Trump properties. And, you know, after in all this time working with Trump, he became one of the 
certainly closest and most visible people in the future president's orbit. And so when the campaign launched, Cohen and Corey were two of the few people in the room. I mean, you know, back in 2015, this was a long shot effort and it was basically Corey. Michael Cohen, mm-hmm. Sam Nunberg, and Roger Stone. And, and I should note that Michael Cohen never had an official role on the campaign. He was never paid by the campaign, but he was there to the point that, you know, I did this story um, that ran right before Election Day in 2016, detailing sort of the oral history behind the epic, you know, escalator ride announcement. And, you know, it basically included Stone and Nunberg saying that Michael Cohen wanted to... Um, have this over-the-top extravaganza. And Roger Stone said to me, Corey and Michael Cohen were fighting constantly over stupid things, you know, balloons and signs. And Corey admitted there were other people who thought confetti and balloons and a spectacle would be something. I didn't agree with that idea. Well, wait a second. So you're saying that Cohen was intimately involved in the crafting of the campaign announcement by Donald Trump, that would seem to contradict what Corey Lewandowski and Dave Bossy just told us that he had nothing to do with the campaign. Right. And and by Corey's own admission, when I was talking to him about this two years ago, he and Cohen were both in the room arguing with each other. So Corey acknowledged it at the time. Yes. Um, The the tune has changed. By the the way, I got to take this opportunity to ask you about the great line, like why Michael Cohen was the right guy to do this. What did he say? <laughs> so Michael Cohen is from the five towns in Long Island, a Jewish enclave, and he said, I, I can plan this announcement. I plan the best bar mitzvahs. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite quotes from the yeah. 2016 campaign. That's right. If you can plan a bar mitzvah, you can plan a presidential but, campaign. But his involvement didn't end at the announcement, mm-hmm. right? right? He went on to basically be the point person on this national diversity coalition for Trump. And this was basically a outside organization that had uh, several different minority surrogates that did the TV uh, rounds for Trump. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that this white, Jewish lawyer from New York was head of that and also did TV surrogacy for Trump. But the big moment for this National Diversity Coalition that was run by Michael Cohen was when they brought the black pastors to Trump Tower for Mm -hmm. a meeting with the president in a Trump Tower conference room. And again, in further evidence that Cohen was intimately involved with the campaign, that campaign event began with a speech from Michael Cohen. So it it really, really, really strains credulity and, and... you know, I, I can't really take it seriously when they say he wasn't involved. All right. So, look, this plea agreement and the facts laid out by Mueller uh, do strike me as a big deal because, you know, they obviously undercut what had been the public narrative of the president, the White House and uh, Michael Cohen himself. But what really struck me about it, and I want to get your take, is, you know, Cohen's account publicly was, and to the Senate was, well, it all ended when he sends this email to Dmitry Peskov, the mm-hmm. spokesman for Vladimir Putin, and, uh, and in January 16, and then never hears back, and so it was all, it all died there. In fact, according to the plea, Pes- somebody working for Peskov, his assistant, calls back, writes back, asks for details, talks to Sater. They continue discussions about this. This is Vladimir Putin's office itself. Vladimir Putin's office is following up on 
the proposal to build a Trump Tower in Moscow. And this continues right through to June 2016 when they're talking about Trump flying to Moscow to meet with Putin, not to discuss world events, but to get his business deal approved. Yeah, and... You know, you're zeroing in on what I thought was the most blockbuster thing in these Mm. plea documents from from Mm. the special counsel, which is that Vladimir Putin's office followed up. You know, what Michael Cohen said initially was, oh, I just sent this email to a general address and no one got back to me. By the way, the which, he said, was done which he said he got the email address from or he had, he had to call Maggie Haberman of The New York <laughs> Times to get an email address for Peskov, which, by the way, she didn't have. Right. And our story was based on, you know, a, tr- a raft of documents that were in possession of both the special counsel and congressional investigators. And a lot of these were emails from Felix Sater. And Felix Sater is a key person in this whole thing. He's a high school friend of Michael Cohen's who has had links to organized crime, has also worked as a government informant. He's a really, And is a convicted felon. Right, he, but he's a really colorful character. Pled guilty um, in a stock and dump scheme, which had ties to various mob figures. But yeah, he, he's got a very checkered past in all directions. And an advisor to Donald J. Trump and the Trump organization. Right, at, at one yeah. point he had an office in Trump Tower, a Trump Tower business card, and that was around 2015 when he was working on this deal with Michael Cohen. And these emails from Sater and and also some texts that were in possession of investigators basically detailed how even after January, when Cohen says he gave up on it, the two of them were still talking, including Sater pushing to have Trump go to Russia to attend this economic this economic forum. And basically one day after our story revealing this for the first time, BuzzFeed followed up. And a really interesting thing, you know, they actually aired out some of these documents. And a really interesting thing in there was basically that Cohen was saying, I can go prior to the convention, but Trump can't go to Moscow until after the convention. Yeah. What was the <laughs> rash reasoning behind that? He's got to be the nominee before he goes? Well, I, I would assume it, w- it would be a PR disaster. It, yeah. Right? And if you remember the convention, there was that whole possibility oh, so of it, a floor it would, fight. It, might, it would keep him from getting the nomination. Right. The nomination right, okay. wasn't in the bag. If you yeah. remember Ken Cuccinelli and the, right. and the sort of rogue anti-Trump brigades were right, going to storm the floor in Cleveland. Yeah. And who was the point person like put in place to stop that? Paul Manafort. Right, right, right. You know, I got to say, one of the things I thought that was interesting about that part of the conversation was, so bossy, they're going on about uh, swamp creatures and, uh, you know, all these people who are enemies of Trump because they're so compromised and, you know, these Washington. And they're filled with hatred. And they're filled filled with hatred. But, you know, and he kind of deflected the Cohen, this Cohen plea by saying that, well, it's not collusion. You know, you guys have been going on about, you know, this is just a this is just a real estate deal. But this is a real estate deal that involves Vladimir Putin, the leader of, right. of you know, one of our biggest rivals. There was a kind of obtuseness there not to really deal with. Maybe they just want, didn't want to deal with it. You know, the fact that Donald Trump is, is you know, maybe going to be president and is in business deals with one of our rivals, you know, it won't be compromised. I mean, that talk about being a swamp creature when you're doing business 
deals in the middle of a presidential campaign, right? I mean, it's just kind of... Yeah, I think, you know, he had that line uh, at some point in your interview, you know, oh, this is just like uh, Mike Bloomberg and Howard Schultz having having business abroad. <laughs> and and it's very different than, than just any foreign business because, as you're pointing out, uh, you know, we just learned today that this had direct cooperation with Putin, Russia's arrival with the U.S., and also in these private messages that um, Cohen and Sater were exchanging... Some of the proposed financing for this involved sanctioned Russian banks. Yes, and meanwhile, Spurbank was one of and, the was, right. Yeah. And and meanwhile, these kinds of business deals that the Russians do, foreign government officials or political candidates, is that's exactly how they run these influence operations. Right. right? That's how they try to compromise. Um, Which was another signal, by the way, that um, to the Russians and to Putin's himself that Trump was open to business. I, you know, I just find these passages in the court documents so mind blowing. And I, I, I asked you about it before, but I just want to hone in on the details here. Mm-hmm. So Cohen sends the email to Peskov and then says, tells the Senate it all dies there. According to the guilty plea, Cohen actually receives an email right away from Russian official number one, assistant number one, an assistant to Peskov, stating that she had been trying to reach Cohen and requesting that he call her using a Moscow-based phone call, phone number she provided. Cohen then follows up. He calls. They talk about the project, and assistant one, the assistant to Peskov, asks detailed questions and takes notes, stating that she would follow up with others in Russia. And then the next day after that, individual two, that's Felix Sater, contacts Cohen asking for a call. Sater writes to Cohen, it's about the president of Russia. They called today. So the office of Vladimir Putin is then following up with Felix Sater, the convicted felon advisor to the Trump organization, about making this deal happen. Yeah, right. just an ordinary real estate deal. <laughs> right. you know? yeah. The other thing I just moving on from the Cohen um, news, uh, the other thing I thought was interesting um, was the way they talked about Rod Rosenstein as right. being in one of the essentially one of the without directly saying this, but strongly suggesting this, that uh, Rod Rosenstein, deputy attorney general of the United States, is an enemy of Trump, part of, in that bucket of enemies right. in the, the intelligence community. And I just want to point out that Trump just yesterday or just uh, earlier this week retweeted a meme that has all of these uh, Clinton administration officials and law enforcement officials behind bars. The uh, image says, now that Russia collusion is a proven lie, when do the trials for treason begin? One of those people behind bars is Rod Rosenstein, (laughs) the current deputy attorney general of the United States, retweeted by Donald J. Trump. While Rod Rosenstein is the current deputy attorney general, he may have lost his position overseeing the Mueller probe when Jeff Sessions left. And, you know, now we have did because yeah. now we got Matt Whitaker. Now we, now we got Matt Whitaker. And by the way, these charges would have to have been signed off on by, Ro- by Matt Whitaker. Right. I mean, he's running the Justice Department now. This is brought by Mueller. Mueller doesn't report to Rosenstein anymore. He reports to Whitaker. That's actually a, a, an interesting point, because yeah. a lot of people have been asking uh, whether Whitaker would uh, squash use the, the power he has to yeah. thwart Mueller. 
and to not allow him to bring new charges. This seems to be evidence that that is not happening. Right, and, and we did. So a, I wonder when we'll see Trump tweeting about uh, <laughs> Matt Whitaker, <laughs> very weak yeah. acting attorney general. <laughs> Sad. <laughs> Sad. <laughs> yeah. Right. But but uh, I think one thing that's that's really. Um, interesting to watch is you know if we go back in time two years ago Michael Cohen was very similar to Corey Lewandowski and Dave Bossy mm. in that he would be sitting here attacking Trump's enemies and you know saying that um, press and, and intelligence figures were enemies of the people and now he's facing jail time right and so now these guys are in the position where they're not in legal trouble that we know of right now and they're attacking all these right. enemies there was no one more loyal than michael cohen right um, right until yeah that was no longer <laughs> so the case. so we have to acknowledge that there's there's right. been a revolving door from loyal attack dog to um, plea agreement that we've seen before right and you know also i think just it's important to point it out every time this we have this conversation these attacks on the press these attacks on our law enforcement institutions this whole notion of enemies of the people this is a very anti-democratic thing this is this is what we see well that's in why i was pressing them countries. on who exactly are these embedded enemies and do they go, go beyond you know, high level officials who, you know, have worked in Democratic administrations who they could make, you know, some argument that they're partisan trying to undermine Trump. It, you know, they got close to, to, to actually saying that, you know, most of the federal bureaucracy, you know, is, is part of this represents uh, this bulwark against Trump, part of the resistance. Well, they're not close that. to. That's yeah. exactly what Dave yeah. Bossi said. Right. Yeah. Look, I just want to I get when I see something like this, I, I try to be somewhat tempered in my reactions to each new development mm -hmm. in the Russia investigation, because I think we do get overwrought sometimes. I, this strikes me as a really big deal because it does undercut the public narrative. But I should point out that what's not in here, uh, mm -hmm. which were some uh, two of the more explosive allegations involving Michael Cohen. One is the report that he could say, could testify that Donald Trump was aware of the Trump Tower meeting. He clearly told the Senate he wasn't. That's not in here. Mm -hmm. So that does raise a question as to whether or not that report, I think it was a CNN report, was true. And more broadly, going back to the dossier, the meetings in Prague referred to in the Christopher Steele dossier that Michael Cohen flew over in August and met with Russian officials. He clearly denied that to the Senate under oath, and he's not being charged and with lying about it in this plea He agreement. actually denied that to me at one point, yeah. where he FaceTimed me seemingly from bed right. um, to, to <laughs> flip yeah. through too his much passport. It, too much information. <laughs> so I think the bottom line is, uh, you know, it may be that not all of the allegations about Donald Trump and Russia are true, but it does appear that at least some of them are. Right, and we've had earlier indications that this Trump Tower Moscow development is a key and unique focus of the special counsel probe. Yeah. And what I mean is that, you know, everybody probably remembers that Michael Cohen's office got raided a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. And that warrant was based on a referral from Bob Mueller. But some of the things seized in that raid led to Michael Cohen getting prosecuted by someone else. Right. You know, the federal attorneys in New York City, right? And if you really go through those documents, and I've been like really pointing at this detail for a while, it's very clear that 
Bob Mueller kept Trump Tower Moscow within his purview, and he kept that for himself while letting the attorneys in New York go after the payments to Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal and other things in Michael Cohen's personal business. Well, that would yeah. make sense. I mean, he's careful about what's sticking to his his mandate, uh, right. and he can make a very clear argument that Trump Tower Moscow is within that mandate. He's a shrewd right. prosecutor. And I, and I should point out, by the way, that one of the questions that Mueller had put to Trump's lawyers was about this deal. What communications did you, the president, have with Michael Cohen, Felix Sater, and others, including foreign nationals, about Russian real estate developments during the campaign? We have not heard yet what the president's response to that was, but uh, I think now that becomes a really interesting answer. And by the what way, what did Trump we, say right. about that? Yeah, and we well, and we know we should point out that we do we know that because our friend Mike Schmidt at the New York Times obtained the question, the Mueller, the, the Mueller questions. Right. All right. Look, unfortunately, we're out of time, but I should point out, looking forward, the Democrats are about to take control of the House. I would think one really spectacular hearing they could have early on is to call the convicted felon, Michael Cohen, to testify before Congress and lay all this out. Michael Cohen, the John Dean <laughs> yes. of this of this uh, scandal. All right. Thanks, Hunter. Thanks to you, Mike. Thanks, Hunter. Thanks, Dan. Thanks to Corey Lewandowski, David Bossy, and Hunter Walker for joining us on this episode of Skullduggery. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. The latest episode is also on SiriusXM on the weekend. Check it out on POTUS Channel 124 on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and replays on Sundays at 1 a.m. and 3 p.m. And be sure to follow us on social media at Pod. Talk to you next week.